Actually, church, doing well? 17 people here at Winter Park are doing well. We're gonna have to do better than that. Come on, Sanford, South Orlando, are we doing well? Man, it's every introvert's nightmare coming to church because you're like, how are you doing? I gotta shake somebody's hand, I gotta give somebody a hug. You're watching online right now. In fact, COVID has all introverts sitting at their home right now. We love you, we see you from a distance and you're welcome here and I promise at one point we'll stop asking you how you're doing over and over again. Hey, a couple things before we get into uh, our brand new series today. A couple of exciting things we have coming up and one thing to celebrate. I am wearing our, our Freedom hoodie because we just got done with our Freedom Conference. Uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, and if you're new to Action Church, or if you call Action Church home and you've never gone through uh, our Freedom Curriculum, it's a 12-week curriculum that happens every fall and spring small group semester, and I really believe uh, it is for everybody um, that has given their life to Jesus, regardless if you're a brand new Christian or you've been following Jesus for a really long time, you and I all have things that, that we need to be set free from. And so 12 weeks talking about it, learning about it, and then two powerful days where we spend a ton of time learning and in worship and in prayer and really leaving free uh, in Jesus' name. And so make sure uh, you take advantage of that. Any questions, check out the Info Center. A couple other things. We have our expansion offering coming up next weekend. Come on, how many of you excited for our expansion offering? Uh, it is my favorite Sunday uh, of the year outside of Easter and Christmas because we have an opportunity uh, at Action Church uh, to go uh, above and beyond our normal giving and give to expand our ability to reach and connect. Our Christmas stores and our outreaches, the close to half million pounds of food that we gave out this year are all because you are such a, a generous uh, church. And, and next week we have the opportunity to continue to expand to do that with our Sanford renovations that are underway. They'll be complete in 2021. Brand new auditorium, brand new kids facility. Uh, taking the auditorium from 240 seats to over 400 seats. We're relaunching our Oviedo location as Haggerty has allowed us to come back in. Um, and then future, uh, future uh, land purchase uh, in the North Seminole uh, area for a, a new location. I wanna highlight something real quick on the screen. You got this a few weeks ago, but I just wanna remind you that, that everybody has a, a part to play. Uh, last year, uh, 536 families gave $2 million. We had a $4 million goal, you see it here. Uh, I would have celebrated there. Just, just, you gave $2 million last year. Just give yourself a hand, you know what I mean? If you gave. If you didn't get, give, then you have an opportunity this year. But what we, what we saw last year is everybody has a rung, everybody has a part, and we just studied two weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, in 12 baskets, that it's not the size of the sample, it's the size of the sacrifice, that everybody has a part to play, and I really believe this year will be a record-setting year, and not after the amount, but after the uh, amount of gifts that we have. We're looking to double those gifts. The church uh, pre-COVID was about 6,000 people, and we really believe that 1,000 families can join us in expanding our ability to reach and Connect. And it's just it's a phenomenal way for you to trust God this year. We're super excited about that. Last thing, Christmas services. Who's pumped about Christmas? Come on. Christmas is coming up December 21st through 24th, Monday through Thursday. We will have Christmas services here at our Winter Park location. They'll all be streaming online uh, as well. Uh, but I wanna let you know that the 2 p.m. socially distanced service uh, has already reached its capacity. Uh, so we are adding a 12 p.m., 12 noon service on Christmas Eve that will also be socially distanced. So what that means is if you pick the 12 or the two, it will be mask required uh, and socially distanced spread out in the auditorium because we have all different types of people, thousands of people that call Action Church home. We will have six or seven 
completely packed services in overflow. I also want to let you know if the 12 and 2 uh, are completely sold out, every one of our services will try and accommodate as many people, up to about 40 people in our action steps room here uh, that will be socially distanced and masks required as well. Just trying to make it easy for as many people to come and hear the good news of Jesus this Christmas season. So make sure the 12 p.m. new socially distant service will go live tonight at 7 p.m. Again, that will fill up fast because there's only a few hundred spots and three of our other services are almost 60, 70% full and so make sure, don't wait to the last minute. Come on, Action Church is a procrastinating church. You're gonna get to December 20th and you're gonna be like, where can I go to church because you didn't do it. Hey, I'm telling you right now, you should have done it earlier. Procrastors unite tomorrow, you know what I mean? Some of y'all get that later. Hey, we're gonna be... We're gonna be in a two-week series uh, that we've titled Two Weeks in Titus. I know, super creative. You didn't see that coming. Two Weeks in Titus. Some of you are like, what is Titus? Well, it's a, it's a book in the New Testament of uh, the Bible. Uh, it's in there. It's only a couple of pages, three chapters. Actually had a staff member this week ask me, now, where is Titus located on the map? Uh, I don't know where Titus is buried because Titus was a man and he was a pastor and now you are no longer a pastor here at Acts. No, it wasn't, it wasn't, one, of our, it wasn't one of our pastors. Titus, uh, Titus was pastoring uh, one of the early churches on the island of Crete, one of the Greek islands. And, and Crete kind of had a, a reputation. They were, they were uh, the, the term that we get uh, in our day and time is, is Cretans. Uh, and you call somebody a Cretan. Basically, you're calling them a, a moron. You're calling them a liar, a cheater. You're, you're, you're slimy. And that, that comes from the people in Crete. They were notorious for kind of their sins and their, their shortcomings and kind of the, their lifestyle that they, they lived. And, and I found something interesting this week as I was studying, because we always think that we live in like the toughest time. Come on, your parents told you they walked uphill to school both ways in the snow. Like we always have this tendency to think that nobody's ever had it worse than us or the world has never been worse. Pastor, what are our kids gonna do in this generation? The world is so bad. I need to remind you, the world is always been bad. Like ever since the, the Garden of Eden, like look at Sodom and Gomorrah, look at the Old Testament. I mean, God destroyed everything with the flood at Noah. Like it was bad before. It's, it's not new. We've always had problems. We always will have problems. But what I want to look at today in, in context of the, the Cretan people and the, the church in Crete led by Titus is that we've had problems, we'll have problems, but God's word always provides a, a solution, that there are solutions and truths in, in God's word, and we're gonna find those today. A couple other facts about the book of Titus and the people of Crete. Paul wrote this letter, inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, in 63 AD, after his release uh, from his imprisonment, after his release from his first imprisonment, in Rome, and he sends this letter through Zenos and Apollos, who were on a journey that took them through Crete to give Titus this personal authorization, uh, this personal authorization and guidance in dealing with the, the opposition that he was facing. You know, Paul had previously left Timothy in Ephesus. You got First and Second Timothy right before Titus. He had left Timothy there as a young leader, and Paul had a habit of, of going and starting churches, finding a, a young leader, and then leaving there. Paul was the apostle Paul, much a, like a, a, a modern-day church planner, and he would leave these men and then give them these instructions. We also know, uh, real quick, that, that Paul and uh, Titus did not 
uh, they were not the first ones to bring the gospel to Crete. That in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit fell and Peter preached at Pentecost, the gospel spread really, really fast. Even under persecution and people discouraging them, it spread really, really fast. And so Paul and Titus were not the initiators or the original evangelists in Crete. They were really coming to set up a discipleship model, set up uh, a church there for the new believers. That's important. It's also uh, widely agreed that Titus, this is really cool to me, Titus would have been saved under Paul's ministry. That when Paul was preaching and teaching some 15 years before this letter to Titus, that he would have decided to follow Jesus. He would have given his life to Jesus. That Paul met this younger man, led him to the Lord, and now he's leading the church. We know this, because we'll read in just a moment in Titus chapter one, it says to Titus, a true spiritual Son, that's just fascinating to me. A couple other things about Crete. Geographically, it's the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean, and it's directly south in the Aegean Sea. And again, it was notorious for its dishonesty, its gluttony, and laziness of his inhabitants. Basically, what we're saying here is Paul's writing a, a letter to a church leader who's leading a bunch of really difficult people. I mean, that has no application to Action Church. Nobody here at Winter Park or South Orlando or Sanford. Like, we're talking about other churches or other people today. Come on, this is one of those sermons where you hit your neighbor and say, this is for you. I'm totally being facetious. No, this is, this is, this is us. We, we are a young church. We need qualified leaders. We, we have problems. We have issues. I really think that we're gonna find a lot of things that we can learn from God's word in the book of Titus. And so starting reading uh, Titus chapter one, Verse one, it says this. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there real quick. That's the only time in the original language that Paul, in one of his letters, starts as I'm a slave to God. I think it's important. I don't think there's any detail missed in scripture that he's writing to a young pastor leading a very difficult church. The, the people of Crete were difficult people. You gotta think that Titus had to have some encouragement. In this moment, Titus may have thought, I missed it. Like, I missed this call. Like, I, I started the wrong business. I got into the wrong enterprise. I married the wrong person. Maybe I'm called to go somewhere else. And, and Paul's reminding Titus that we are slaves to Christ. That's important because we are no longer our own master. He's saying, I'm a slave to the call, that I've been called and I don't have a choice. I'm answering the call. He also says, I'm an apostle. I'm a, I'm a messenger, that's what that word means. I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he's revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. Here's verse four we talked about earlier. I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God, the Father of Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. Here's verse five. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, except in traffic. I think there's a caveat right there, just that, you know, patients, we're all working through, maybe just every once in a while, if you're new to Action Church, you know, professional Christians, pastors, we say around here, we, we're not much different, you're just a little more saved, and we, instead of cussing out loud, we just cuss in our heads. 
I'm just kidding. It's just the little ones, not the big ones, not the ones that make it rated R, just the PG-13 version. <laughs> he must not be a heavy drinker, uh, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests. Well, the right kind of guests. I mean, some of you people aren't coming over. Um, just kidding, but, but seriously. Um, rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he'll be able to encourage others because we have to live different if people are gonna ask questions. Live a life worth asking questions about. Not why you're doing what you're doing wrong, but why you're so different. That's why Paul's writing this to elders, but it's not just the pastors and teachers and elders. It's to any believer that's leading. If you're leading a small group, a Bible study, a family, like live in such a way that, that people will say, well, what's different about you? And they'll, you'll have a, a trustworthy message. The message that you preach and teach actually is believable because of your life. You must have a strong belief, a trustworthy message, wholesome teaching, and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Talking about elders, I think it's important for you to know if you call Action Church home that, that we have a, a, a group of, of elders. In fact, three different types of elders at Action Church. We have apostolic elders, which are overseers of well-known and well-respected congregations across the country that, that oversee uh, me personally as a pastor in our church. We have a group of non-staff elders. We call them trustees that, that help hold us accountable and help us with all of the financial decisions of the church, the budgets and the leases and the mortgages. We have three business people. Their expertise is business and finance and real estate that help us in that area. And then we have a group of internal elders that our spiritual leadership team uh, that I lead, uh, but that Pastor Joseph, Pastor John Evans, and Pastor Tyler Altoff serve on, that all of us together help lead the church. I know some of you are thinking, that's very comforting. And others of you are thinking, you, you mean you don't just make all of these decisions up? It seems like you're just kind of winging it in the back office on a whiteboard. No, we have accountability. I promise we have accountability. These elders are important. It's important for us to live differently. And the higher the calling or the higher the office, the more responsibility that you have to, to live well and to, to make different decisions. Keep reading together. That's enough about me. Let's talk about you for a little bit. Uh, and this is not going to be fun. Uh, this next few moments, uh, just to let you know, Christmas, we're going to sing some carols and have candlelight. But, but Titus kind of comes in. This book comes in a little bit strong. And so just be ready. Verse 10 for there are, again, this is not you, this is just the people of Crete and the churches down the street. For there are many rebellious, rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. Use, useless talk, there's, there's, the Bible is really clear that, that, that sin separates us from God. And, and that we, we know at Action Church, God doesn't stack sins like this like we do on earth. He stacks sins like this, like they've all separated us. So there's no hierarchy of sin. And, and, and slander and, and, and gossip and, and, and idle talk, and this, it's, it's divisive, it's manipulative. And in fact, several times throughout the, the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, God talks about how much he, he hates that when people gossip and tear down others. Like, uh, write this down if you're taking notes. We must be focused. If we're gonna, we're gonna build a, a healthy church and a healthy life, we must be focused on right speaking. On right speaking, that we should speak life, not death. That we should, we should be encouragers, those that, those that build up others, not tear them down. In a world that, that is always bent on tearing things down, we should be, be people that, that build people that and things up. Like we all remember what somebody said to us. A mom or a dad, 
step parent, a teacher, a coach, a bully in the seventh grade. You can go back right now and you can think about those words that were spoken that maybe defined and shaped you for a season. Let's not be like the rest of the world that's rebellious and, and we're so insecure and so, so lost, this void, that we spend our time tearing other people down just so we feel better. Wow. I've never met a confident and secure person who's mature in their faith that spends their time tearing other people down. What Here's what it looks like. Let me give you an example to, to walk away with this, uh, this point with. Let's just say you have a problem with your location, Pastor, because obviously you wouldn't have a problem with me. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna excuse myself from, from this analogy. But let's say here at Winter Park, Pastor Eddie, come on, at Sanford, Pastor Kenneth, probably several people, you know, Pastor Kenneth. Then we got Pastor Jake at South Orlando, Pastor Trent uh, at Oviedo. Let's say you have a problem with your location, Pastor. You don't like what they said, you don't like what they did. Let me just pause real quick. We are a big church you're gonna have a problem with somebody sometime. I mean, just apologize in advance for all the stupid things we're gonna do. You're like, I can't believe you did that. Me either. I can't believe you wore that. Me either. I can't believe you said that. I agree. If I gave you a microphone for 40 minutes, you'd say something stupid too. You said something stupid in your own car on the way here and you're fighting right now with your spouse. So, just apologizing in advance. We're gonna make mistakes. But let's say you have a problem. You have a problem with Pastor Eddie or Pastor Ken, Pastor Jake, Pastor Trent. And you go and start talking. Well, you're a Christian. You're like the people of Crete. You don't talk. You go start a group text where you can pray for your pastor. And start praying for, you're not actually praying, you're just texting, have you heard about this? And you won't believe what they said about me? And, and it begins to spread your, your, your gossip or the, the problem or the, the news that you've had a falling out with your location, Pastor. Well, speaking of news, let me, let me bring this home. Speaking of news, how many of you remember the newspaper? Yeah. <laughs> newspaper? Come on, if you're under 30, it, it, was, it was a paper <laughs> that they put the news on and then they would shove it in a plastic bag and just chuck it at your front door. And if your sprinklers were on, you just missed the news for the day. You know what I mean? You're just like, just get all over your hands. Well, what would happen back in the days of the newspaper is the front page would be the breaking story. It would be the headline. It'd be a big picture. Front page news for the gossip or the scandal or the corporation that just went bankrupt or lost everything or the thing that's growing. And the front page news would have been like the, the, the home page of a website or the ticker on CNN or, or Fox News. But I know you'll never believe this in 2020. You, 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 back in the day, the news made mistakes. They actually got, the, not like today, they, 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 actually, they actually got things wrong. And what they would do is they would have front page news, scandal, gossip, you won't believe it. And they would get it wrong and then a week, two weeks, six weeks later, they'd come back out and they'd issue a back page retraction when they missed it. The problem Action Church is nobody ever reads the back page. 
And so with our wrong speaking, with our gossip and with our divisiveness, with our front page news, I have a problem with Pastor Eddie or Pastor Ken. Front page news, I have a problem with my mom or my dad. Front page news, I have a problem with my spouse and we talk to everybody about it. But here's what happens because you're a believer and the pastor's a believer or you and your spouse, they reconcile. But the front page news of the problem got out to everybody, but you've reconciled and are good. But the back page retraction of restoration didn't make it to them, so now they have a problem with your wife and they have a problem with your parents. They have a problem with the church that you love because of your idol speech. You, you let your insecurity get the best of you. You tried to gain a jury to agree with your idea and then you don't even agree with your idea anymore and now we have divisiveness and brokenness because, because of useless talk. Thank you, Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie's all in. Everybody else apparently still in the gossip portion of that, so <laughs> just kidding, but seriously. Here's verse, uh, verse 11. Let's, let's finish verse 10. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. I'm a big fan that that's no longer a thing. <laughs> Some of you are like, you're talking about that? I'm just reading scripture. I just know that's the opposite of a church growth strategy. That would be a highly female-populated church <laughs> if that was the case. Here's what was happening, though, is religious people were coming in and they were adding to the gospel. So Jesus is the only way. His life lived perfect so that he could model it and so that he could die as the perfect substitute for you, not really even for you, as you, like he took everything, like the exchange of your sin and your shame and your shortcomings for his righteousness and his perfection. His resurrection gives us new life and, and victory and power over sin in the grave. But people will always try and add to it. Religion is all about man trying to make themselves feel better to God, and so people always try and add to it because it makes them feel better. And what I've found, church, is religious people are rarely right. They crucified Jesus. And when we decide that we know all, we've figured it all out, we set ourselves up for, for a fall. Here's what it says about talking about religious people. Verse 11, they must be silenced. This is powerful and convicting. Because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are, are liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from truth. So there's, there's two camps happening here in, in Crete. There's, there's the hyper, like really religious, like you gotta add to it, and if you're not doing this, this, and this, then, then you're not saved. And that's not how that works. What, what should happen, the, the middle ground of, of grace and truth is that once you give your life to Jesus, you should look differently. It's not doing a lot of things differently so then you can be saved. That's why it says stop telling people they have to be circumcised to be saved because there's nothing extra to add to accepting Jesus. But then they had this other group over here, the Jewish myths, that they were, they were changing or contorting scripture to make it more palatable. They, 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 were, they, were, not, they were not adding to it religiously, they were, they were watering it down or changing it so they felt better. Sound familiar? Like they were, they were progressing the gospel. And what I've found is progressive Christianity 
Progressive Christianity is almost always a step away from Christianity altogether. Because the foundation of our gospel is that Jesus is the Lord and the Bible is the word of God. When we start changing it to fit our ideals and our opinions, we begin to become our own God, little g. Let me, let me, let me read this to you because I don't wanna mess it up. Enlightened people, progressive Christians, will eventually be enslaved by their own ideas because you become your own God, so now you'll have to answer for your own mistakes. This is so simple. Truth doesn't evolve. That's what makes it truth. If it changed, it wouldn't be truth. Like the truth doesn't change. If we changed it, then that means at one time it was false, which means we don't believe the Bible. We don't believe God is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do. We don't get to pick and choose. Or you can, but then you'll have to answer for what you picked and choose because Jesus only paid the way for you to eternity when we put our faith in him and in God. So here's the balance of the super religious and the hyper grace. Live with grace. Someone catch this church. If we, if we get this, we will be a church, we will be a city on a hill, we will be a place where people can find Jesus and connect to their purpose. If we live with grace, but teach the truth. Living with grace gives us the ability and the relationship to actually teach the truth. We're gonna focus, we're gonna focus on right speaking. Here's the second thing. Write this down, I'm short on time. I went way too long on the whole, the whole uh, front page news deal. Verse, verse uh, chapter two, verse one, in just a moment. Write this down. We must be focused on right teaching. We must be focused on right teaching. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. I find it ironic that Paul did not talk about the men drinking too much, which tells me that the men were miserable people to live with. Because <laughs> the women were drinking too much. They're like, these men that you've given us, God, only thing they could do was be heavy drinkers. He didn't, notice he didn't say don't drink at all because he knew they need a little bit of drink to get through life with these men. It's so dumb, but that's just how I read it. Like, why didn't he say it to both? The women had a drinking problem, and it's because of the men. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Let me pause real quick before any husband goes home today and says that Pastor Justin said that you should submit to me. Paul writes to, uh, Paul writes to yeah, Timothy, uh, who was leading, but it's the book of Ephesians, uh, and he, he writes to the church in Ephesus and says, women sub submit to your husbands, but before that, he says, men, love your wife as Christ loved the church in which he gave himself up for her. So like, like you're, you're, you're worth submitting to when you're living a life of sacrifice, saying whatever it takes, I lay my life down for you. So if you're not laying your life down as a living sacrifice for your spouse, don't go home and say, Pastor Justin said to submit today. He gave you the first, first charge to live, catch this, live and lead in such a way that, 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 that demands 
or that causes the respect and the, the submission. So don't, don't look across the table, look at your own life and say, am I, am I living in that way? Just turned into a little marriage conference, Pastor John. In the same way, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Verse eight, teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose you will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. What we see here in the first eight verses of chapter two is we see a multi-generational church, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Multi-generational church just, just like ours. That's, it's got people from all over the place, all different skin colors, all different age demographics, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's, it's different types of people. And, and I wanna just kind of illustrate something. We, we believe that the church is called to teach all types of people. In fact, every sermon, uh, I begin to prepare on Tuesday with, with three people in mind, and that is my mom, who's in the 1045 service, who's forgotten more of the Bible than I'll ever know. Like, I would like to teach her something that she's never heard before, not because it's not in there or heresy, but because I actually studied the Word of God and said, have you ever thought of this challenge even the strongest believer. I believe even our Sunday services, the strongest and the most mature believer should leave with, with a word or a thought or something they can go and ponder throughout the week. The number two is the lukewarm Christian, the, the, the casual Christian, the progressive Christian, the consumer Christian. I wanna offend you just enough to get off the sidelines and go to action steps to begin to be in a small group, to begin to, to give or, or serve. I, I wanna pull you out of idol. I wanna pull you out of, of, of laziness and into the call that God has for you. And the third one is a person, this is their last time to ever hear the gospel, that they will never get another opportunity. And that's why we do Sundays the way we do. That's why we do Lights, Camera, Action. That's why we do Song Fest. That's why every sermon ever preached at Action Church on Sunday morning will end with a salvation call because there is nothing more important. Hey, if we don't have decisions, we don't get disciples. We're called to go into the world and make disciples, but if nobody's deciding to follow Jesus, then we cannot do the main thing until we start the journey, and so Sunday is all about reaching people who don't know Jesus. But it says here, to live and to teach in a way that nobody can criticize. I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm saying their criticism won't be valid, because we know in this world, if you're ever doing anything, you will have critics, right? Come on, get on Yelp this afternoon, just look at some businesses. Like if you're open for business, if you're out doing anything, you will have critics. My challenge to us at Action Church, though, is to make the criticism sound ridiculous. Because valid criticism actually should be taken in and we should learn and we should grow, and, and we do. We have a 1% rule at Action Church, that every criticism, there's 1% of truth that we can use to get better. We, criticism is your best teacher sometimes. But what I'm talking about is living a life and building a church and being a place that the criticism is laughable. We got that this week. Like we, we are to the point now at Action Church where I posted on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week that we had just crossed the 10,000 uh, uh, decision mark. 10,000 people have given their life to Jesus in six and a half years of Action Church. 10,000 people. Like 10,000 people who were going to, to hell now are spending eternity in heaven. And so if you give here, if you serve here, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do. But we had, we had, a, we had a Christian, I will use the Christian term very loosely, we had a, 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 a Christian comment and then direct message me 
um, oh, uh, oh, we're celebrating decision numbers now. He said, I, didn't, I, didn't, uh, I don't read Jesus celebrating numbers. It's like, well, you didn't read Acts 2 where 3,000 were, were saved. It's a number. And God added to their number daily those that were being saved. It's like in the book of Acts. Like, it's not real hard to find. It's the, the first time the church gathered. That's what they celebrated. And so, little confused. But since when did we transition to criticizing and to tearing down the very thing that, that, that God is, is building. I don't wanna fight criticism with criticism, the church. I, I, I wanna fight criticism with creativity. You know, I, I've never met a critic who was doing more than what or who they were criticizing. Too busy doing. I don't have time to criticize. I'm too busy focused on my own right speaking and right teaching and right living. I know where I fall short. I don't have time to worry about you. I just gotta keep allowing God to, to work on me. I gotta let him create in me a, a new heart, clean hands and a, and, a, and a pure heart. What I found is that God's in the creation business, the enemy's in the critical business. And so if, you, if your life is marked with criticism, you're working, you're working for the wrong team. And so let's be people that build up and create and affirm and encourage and teach the right things. We'll teach hard things here at Action Church, but hopefully you leave knowing that where I fall short, God has already made a way for me to get better. That we can, when we teach people, we can talk about their worst or God's best. We can call out the situation, but we can speak to the potential and the grace of God that can get them from where they are to where he, he wants them to be. Let's, let's keep reading together, verse nine and 10. We're running out of time, nine and 10. We must be focused, here's the last one, we must be focused on right living. And we're gonna spend most of our time next week uh, finishing out chapter two and chapter three, focused on right living. Let's go to verse nine and 10 real quick, uh, and then we'll close. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. I need to be very clear that this verse has been manipulated in American history to endorse slavery, and slavery obviously is always wrong. But slavery is not just an American thing. In fact, since the beginning of time, every war that's ever been, they would take slaves or captives. And in the Bible times, they would, I mean, the people of, of God, Israel, were in captivity. They were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And so God's not endorsing slavery. That's obviously wrong. But what he's saying is, there's no higher form, there's, there's not a worse life that you can live than being a slave. Not being your own person, being the property of somebody else. But what he's saying is, even in the worst of situations, you can live your life in such a way that will be attractive to other people. That with the worst diagnosis, you can live in a, in a, in a, in a way that's different. In the worst relationship dysfunction, in the worst moment of your life, in extreme poverty or extreme whatever you fill in the blank, he's saying that, church, is when we shine the brightest. That is when we are attracted to other people because when we celebrate when things go good, when we have things great, they say, great, of course you're following God. You have it all together. But when things begin to fall apart, when we don't feel like we're our own, when we feel like we're a slave to a sin or a disease or a relationship and we still, we handle it differently, that, that is when we're attractive. 
I think that's why the church can shine in a pandemic season and in a racial divisiveness season and all of these things. Why? Because we can handle it differently. We don't fit into the status quo, but we say, no, we're gonna live different, attractive. So here's my question to you. How attractive is your life to a person who doesn't know Jesus? How's your speaking? How's your language? How's your teaching? And then how are you living? Is it in such a way that it's attractive to people who don't know what we believe? Or is it a discouragement because they don't see any difference? Or because they just see somebody that tells them what they should and shouldn't do as opposed to loving them right where they are and helping them along the way. I wanna close 11 through 14 with those of you who are in need of a relationship with Jesus today. Talked a lot about the church and Christians today. But many of you can't focus on right speaking, right teaching, or right living because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Others of you, you've had a relationship, you've walked up an aisle, you've prayed a prayer, but if you're honest, you're not following him today. I wanna read a couple of verses to remind you of the gospel as we finish our 11 through 14 and then give you that opportunity as we close service today. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, all that will believe. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward as to eternity with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Here's verse 14. He gave us his life, to free us from every kind of sin. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've said. Jesus died to pay that price. He cleansed you, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, that you have a family in the family of God if you will give your life to Jesus, that will be totally committed to doing good deeds. Those good deeds come after starting that great relationship with Jesus. Would you bow your heads at every location, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna give you an opportunity to accept Jesus. We presented the gospel real clearly earlier. Jesus lived for you so he could die as you. And his death on the cross, his sacrifice gives you and me access to grace and mercy, forgiveness and salvation. The resurrection that happened on Easter Sunday, it gives us access to power that sin and the grave have lost their power over you and for me. We have a home in eternity and we have power to live in this life differently through the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 10, it says, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for us, that he was raised to new life, that we can be saved. The decision you're making today is not a prayer, it's not a religious step, it's a step of surrender. Because that word Lord is control. So you're making a decision today to surrender control of your life to the lordship, to the leading of Jesus. And if you wanna do that, I wanna lead you a prayer in just a moment here in Winter Park, South Orlando, Sanford, worshiping online. Say, Pastor Justin, that, that's me today. I wanna speak differently. I want to, to teach differently. I want to live differently. But I know that starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you today, for the first time, today is your day of salvation. Or for the first time in a long time, today is a, a day of recommitment. 
You say, I'm going all in again, giving Jesus control of my life. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Got you in the back. Yep, two, three, four. One over here, five. Stadium, got you. Yep, yep, got you, man. See you right there. Yes, ma'am. So proud of you. Yep. Come on, South Orlando. God's moving your auditorium. Sanford, come on right there in your home right now. Sitting at your kitchen table, watching with your family. Just raise your hands out. I need Jesus in my life. It's awesome. Best decision you'll ever make. You can put your hands down in all the auditoriums watching online. Say this in your heart. As I say it out loud, say something like this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And today, I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. And I'm giving you that place, complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, God, I pray for all of us, every single one of us. I pray this week we would, we would speak differently. God, give us an opportunity to encourage, to lift up, to show the difference. God, allow us to get into your word and to teach differently. And then give us practical ways to, to model our faith in front of a world who doesn't know you. We love you. Praise you in this place. Everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions? Come on, really celebrate them.